Hello and welcome to the Leadership and Insurance podcast. This is the podcast where we discuss what leadership looks like in the modern insurance business. We talk to insure tech leaders and founders, innovators and change agents from the insurance industry. We also talk to thought leaders from outside the industry, such as organizational psychologists, performance coaches and investment professionals. Anyone who can add value to the conversation on how to lead insurance businesses of the future. Good morning and welcome to the Leadership and Insurance podcast. I'm your host, Alex Bond, and I'm very lucky to be joined by Emilios from Hellas Direct. Um, Emilios, how are you, sir? Are you well? Very good. Greetings very... from Athens. Yeah, greetings. Yeah, you're, you're our first um, uh, person based in Greece to, to join us. So um, I think we've got France, Greece, US. Um, I'm probably missing. Oh, oh Germany, definitely. Yeah, uh, all, the, all the major fintech centers of the world, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, there's a lot more going on in Athens than I'd originally thought. I, I was speaking to a couple of fintechs on the AI side that are more bank focused. But um, uh, yeah. what's the what's the community like there? And is there a bit of a fintech community in Athens? Yeah, it's actually growing, and uh, most of the technology. Um, I would say activity in Athens is, is about companies that are based in Athens but operating abroad. Yeah. So we had people like uh, uh, in telcos or um, you know in the, um, in the marketing space and so on. FinTech, we're beginning to see now some of the big players establishing offices over here just because one of the founders was Greek or there's a Greek connection. But yeah, I think one, leads, one thing leads to another. We're beginning to have some sort of vibrant uh, technology scene over here. No, that's good. That's good. But but um, I bet I'd better let you introduce the Hellas Direct um, uh, before we start asking you about the fintech scene in Greece. Yeah, so, yeah please We're, please tell the people that don't know what, what about the business and um, yeah. We are a traditional insurance company, <laughs> but what people call insure tech these days. Yeah. Uh, we are a full stack insurance company. We started with uh, my my co-founder Alexis Pandazis uh, about uh, seven years ago. Um, we got um, full regulated. Um, in, uh, in Cyprus, we passported into Greece and now we're expanding into a number of other countries. Um, at the time when we started, we, were, we just call ourselves a fully regulated insurance company with a lot of technology that we build for ourselves. And, and ever since then, uh, we you know, caught up with terms like FinTech and SureTech and all these uh, cool, cool stack insurance companies. So uh, we're a non-life company. So uh, we, we focus uh, mostly on car, property, um, and personal lines. Uh, we don't touch uh, commercial lines uh, yet. We might be going into SMEs uh, pretty soon. And as I said earlier, we, we started with uh, the Greek market, about two and a half billion uh, kind of market, but we're um, extending soon in uh, a bunch of non-core European markets, uh, Romania, Czech, Czech um, uh, uh, Slovakia, Slovenia, and so on, staying away from the core um, markets. We'll have this discussion down the road, I think. I was going to say, I, I want to I touch on that in a bit. So um, let's, let's not go too deeply into that. So yeah. you, what the first thing I wanted to, there's a couple of things I wanted to sort of go back to the inception of the business. So it, eight years old now, is that right? Did you say? Yes, that's right. Yeah. Eight years old. Um, so in insure tech before insure techs were, were were a thing. Um, so you get the early adopter hat. Um, what what was the sort of genesis? Why why did you sort of? I know you you're an actuary by background, but you sort of moved away from traditional sort of insurance yeah. interaction yeah. more into investment yeah. banking. Um, yeah. 
what why then and 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 why why at that point for you good question i think for us for me i've always been in insurance i, I started uh, by the way i started in computer science before the internet and then i moved to um to actuarial science i qualified as an actuary in the uk mm-hmm. and then i spent uh, three four years with um with mckinsey and um uh, uh and goldman's in in london again on the insurance side of things um but um, sort of uh, doing a lot more sort of consulting and investment banking work uh, on um, the, uh, I guess one of the, my first experiences when I was in the US with McKinsey, um, I experienced the first um, uh, downturn back in 2001 when uh, you know, a lot of insurance companies experienced a lot of problems and I saw sort of the big uh, genesis of a bunch of insurance companies at the time that did really well. So uh, I kind of had this thing at the back of my mind that, when in crisis, uh, you know, starting a non-life insurance company actually works really well. Mm-hmm. I also spent uh, a lot of time, you know, working with or, you know, um, experiencing the likes of Direct Line or Admiral in the UK. So I've lived through that, um, you know, uh, revolution to like way, way before the internet and, and so on. Um, so when, when, when the financial crisis of 2008, 2010 hit um, Europe, um, we sort of, we were talking with, uh, with my co-founder at the time, we're both in, uh, in the UK. We thought, okay, now it's a good time to go and start our own company and let's go and start an insurance company. Um, now, two options, start an insurance company in developed markets or go after sort of the uh, sort of um, emerging markets, also the less um, developed markets, if you like. We opted for the latter. For us, um, again, you're not gonna go to a tiny, tiny market and try to invent insurance, but for markets like Greece, there's sort of two, two and a half billion kind of markets uh, where the margins were higher. You know, the, the, the consumer was going through exactly the same sort of discovery that, you know, some of the uh, consumers in the, you know, Western Europe, it, it made it like, a, you know, a, the perfect um, sort of environment to start a company like this one. Mm. Um, but we went sort of the, um, the long route rather than going and setting up an NGA or like a broker or anything like that, we went to get fully regulated yeah. Uh, knowing from the very beginning that this one's going to be a, a long uh, path as opposed to like a quick flip. What, what, why did you do that? Because, yeah, it would have been a lot easier, surely, just, you know, set up an MGA, get going with that model, and then maybe go down the line and go, right, we'll turn this into a full stack proposition. Yeah. Why did you so that's that? a good point, actually. But to, to be fair, it depends also what sort of um, horizon you have and what sort of, uh, you know, uh, business plan you have in mind. For mm-hmm. our, from our perspective, we always knew that in order to disrupt insurance in this part of the world, you need to control the full value chain. And you cannot just take a small part and depend on others. Um, the, the reason these markets are not as developed as they are in some of the other um, jurisdictions is that there's a lot of um, you know, activity missing. The value chain is not as efficient. It's not like you're in London, you can set up an MGA in two days, you can hire a TPA for your claims, you can you know, hire a team to do administration. That, kind of doesn't happen around here. Mm. Plus, we believe that once you build this value chain and you put it in place with your own conditions, with your own sort of uh, controls, um, you you achieve two things. You control the unit economics, uh, so you can actually make more money across the value chain. And B, you create what my Canadian shareholders like to say, the moat. You Mm. can protect your economics from everyone else coming uh, coming through. Mm. Just to give you a couple of examples, like uh, Greek um, and Cypriot uh, property insurance, in absolute terms, not in reality, in absolute terms, they make more PL than London property. Uh, okay. Just to show you, yes, 
<laughs> and just to show you how some of these inefficient markets, uh, when you look at the ROE of some of the local insurance companies around here, they are spectacularly good um, compared to some of the um, you know, competitors in, in London or some of the other more efficient markets. Sure, you are trading a smaller market compared to uh, actually significantly smaller market, but at the same time, the profit pool that you're trying to disrupt over here is much bigger than perhaps in London or Germany or somewhere like that. Mm. That's really interesting. Um, <laughs> that's a, it really makes me so. I don't, this is a very bad analogy, but get, go with me on this. When I started out in in, um, in recruitment, I was um, I, I specialised in claims and 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 sort of back office technical functions, so reinsurance management, all those sorts of yeah. things. And and so, suddenly someone went, went, "Why do you focus on that?" And it was because it was the it was the area that people weren't looking at. I was like, I was like, why, why? Because the other part of it is why go and fight the the big guys in their own backyard? Because you're probably going to lose. So right. there's opportunities out there. But did that come from, you know, localized knowledge? You know, was it something you kind of analyzed all markets, and or is it coincidental that you you know that market uh, anyway? To be fair, we did not know that market. And, uh, actually, none of us is from Greece. We're both from Cyprus, and we, we spent actually most of our adult lives abroad. So it's not that we, it was a homecoming exercise where we knew something about it here. It's just I think for us, we were looking for uh, we, we we did travel. We spent like a couple of years traveling before launching insurance, uh, our insurance company. We had the we were not a twenty year old entrepreneur. We're like a mid thirties entrepreneur. So we had. A little bit the consulting uh, approach, the most sort of risk averse. So we traveled, we talked, we spoke to market participants, and I think our conclusion um, along the risk return trade off, just to show, to throw some sort of uh, consulting bullshit there. I think that um, it, it was um, it was obvious that in this part of the world you had um, a bigger profit pool, you had um, sort of a, a value chain that was kind of oozing from sort of inefficiencies left and center. Mm. But it wasn't like a low hanging fruit. It wasn't something that you would go to London and within a year you would have an insurance company. You would have to build everything before you actually achieve something. And uh, again, the question we had to ask ourselves is that, guys, uh, are we here for the long run? Uh, are we prepared to go in and develop our technology and you know, do everything from scratch? Um, you know, build the entire thing, including claims, road assistance, blah, 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 before you start seeing some, um, you know, um, uh, some, uh, some sort of results uh, coming out of this one, or, or is this something much more kind of uh, quick and dirty? Mm -hmm. Now, um, our view, again, because we were 30-something-year-old guys, you know, and because we, can, we, we knew what it involved, perhaps if you ask me now, would I do it again? You know, I would say yes, but... Only if I were 35, not when I, when I were 35 or 45. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, but again, the, 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 we're sort of thinking about building the right business, not kind of trying to arbitrage conditions either in the capital raising or in sort of some other part of the industry. And some of the things we're beginning to see right now that makes us a little bit uncomfortable is that we see people just you know launching companies on the back of a, of a sort of a fashion on capital raising as opposed to the real fundamentals of the business. Mm. I, there's a whole can of worms I'm probably going to open up there, I'm afraid. Uh, I, I, let's talk about investment because I think that's interesting that you you clearly had a long-term view. It's very it's, it's a really obvious, obvious kind of, when you lay it out like that, it's a very obvious strategy, but therefore it kind of dictates the type of investors you've got to get on board because they've got to take a long-term view as well. Did that, did that make it harder to attract investment? It, it did because frankly, no one, I, mean, I guess uh, when you talk about some of these unsexy markets and about, you know, 
contrarian kind of place, you don't get, you know, the, the, bull, the bullish guys coming through. It's like now talking to someone about shorting potentially, you know, the, you know, uh, the tech stocks. So you're always, you're a contrarian kind of person. Now, it was very difficult to convince the obvious bulls and we was, you know, very difficult to convince someone who's never done this kind of thing before. So we had more um, traction with people who had insurance knowledge and a global perspective than for someone who knew Greece or the, the area. Because yeah. it was much more difficult to convince a real estate investor or a family office here to, to cross into an unknown territory as opposed to someone who's done insurance around the world or they've seen how this kind of contrarian place works. So our first group of investors, we had a couple of offers from private equity firms at the time, but we went with a bunch of family offices uh, who had mm. this contrarian view and a good backing from uh, reinsurance. Our first partner was Munich Re on a multi-year um, you know, risk sharing at the time. And um, so we, we believe that in, in, so in this collection of family offices and Munich, we had a um, long-term enough capital, a good knowledge of what it takes to be you know, a contrarian plane. It, it wasn't somebody who was comparing your performance against owning a London flat or yeah. something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and to be fair, um, you know, you, 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 we were in a market where Europe did not have the classic VCs or the classic kind of, uh, you know, early growth uh, funds that you would have in the US and so on. Yeah. Which by definition, by not having that, the opportunity became even more obvious. Yeah. So we, we became a little bit like Marmite. You, are, you either hate it or love it. So when you talk to investors, either investors would, would get it in the first five minutes and say, yeah, sure, I mean, or some would be like, okay, I don't really get it. Why is this going to happen? And this, that, the other. Mm. Now, as we'll be maturing as a company, it became more institutional down the road. So, you know, five years later, we got an investment from the World Bank. We now have um, Portage, which is um, the fintech arm of uh, Parkour of Canada. Mm. Um, we also have EBRD. So you, you kind of pick up the right investors or more institutional investors down the road as opposed to um, a priori. Mm, mm. Yeah, that's that, that's super interesting. I, I think it's particularly you know, picking up the point on the kind of US European um, investment strategies. It, 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 it gets mentioned a lot in the kind of, you know, one is that you kind of have to sort of, Europe likes a bit more of a kind of longer term view, what kind of one wants to see some momentum, then you might follow some more investment. Um, or they, they want to bootstrap it to get it to a certain point, and then they might come on board. Whereas the US, it can be a bit more, you know, fast money as long as the returns look pretty dramatic and but you yeah. can go with the business plan so it's just it's interesting that culturally they're different um and and that your investors change over time um yeah. i wanted to talk to you um because we we spoke previously um uh, and we talked about your distribution model is quite blended um you know yeah. because as much as you're a sort of digital full stack insurer not everything you do is digital but you're working with the kind of uh, more traditional kind of distribution models as well yeah. Um, I wanted to think, sort of get into your thinking about that because, you know, one might see that as kind of not fully embracing digital, but it's, it's more complicated than that, one would imagine. Sure, exactly. I think for us, when, when we first started, uh, we had two things that we wouldn't, um, you know, trade, wouldn't sort of uh, take um, you know, a, a different view. We were sort of very dogmatic about owning the technology and building everything from scratch. Mm -hmm. And B, we wanted to control our factory from the very first moment until the very end. So mm -hmm. um, policy administration, coding, you know, pricing, the whole span all the way to claims. Now, mm -hmm. the third thing we wanted to be agnostic actually, as opposed to dogmatic about it, it was the distribution. 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, having looked at this part of the market, um, and this, this actually is part of the world, um, we realized that what happened in the UK is a very UK, um, you know, event. Uh, the fact that everyone went suddenly to digital and then aggregators and so on to such an extent, um, you know, it, it's partly UK specific, partly theological, anthropological, but it hasn't been replicated anywhere around the world. Mm-hmm. And we, we did sort of see some of the failures of direct in Europe before we even started. You know, people went uh, very aggressively into Poland, believing that they would pick up Italy, Spain, and so on. Um, and it, they, they saw some pickup, and there were some, you know, good cases or directly Nia did pretty well. Um, you know, some of the guys in, in Italy, you know, um, struggled a bit, but they over, over time they did it. But it wasn't this sort of hockey stick experience that you had in the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, so we asked the question in reverse. Okay, guys, given that you control technology and you control the factory, why do we have to be dogmatic about distribution? Why don't you sort of open it up? Mm-hmm. Now, um, we, we are called HelasDirect because it was the cheapest URL we could find at the time. Uh, I actually bought HelasDirect.gr for like 29 euros, and we thought it was a pretty cool thing to have, right? Uh, our company is called HD Insurance Limited, and you know our group will be called Rethink because that's another cheap thing we found uh, back at the time. <laughs> now, but since we launched, we have a product for direct, which is Helas Direct, and a bunch of various versions of that. We have, um, you know, for uh, lady drivers, we have for, um, you know, young drivers and so on. But again, these are versions of the same direct kind of product that goes out on you know, mobile phones, on, on uh, you know, um, websites and so on. We have an aggregator presence mm-hmm. and aggregators are picking up in, in Greece quite quickly as you would have in Italy and Spain and you know, uh, the rest of Europe. So we have a presence there and we can quickly go into an aggregator with any product, with any price, with any segment and so on. And, and thirdly, we have a, a physical broker's channel. We have a product called Unique. Uh, which is actually dedicated for physical broker channels and is doing pretty well. Mm-hmm. And it just happened that last year, uh, it was the first year that we had an equal um, uh, presence between direct um, aggregators and, um, and physical brokers. Wow. Now, we, there's another channel we're going after, and this is something that hopefully we'll do something this year, um, banks. Bank assurance in this part of the world works. For whatever reason, again, people have to look into theological or anthropological reasons, but, um, you know, in this part of the world, even um, after banks bail, being bailed in, so, uh, you know, they took money from your own deposit, you still buy financial products from banks. Yeah. That's not happening in the UK, yeah, yeah. that's not happening in some other markets. And I want to say banks, I would actually include in their fintechs. It could be Revolut, it could be, you know, uh, anyone else. And I think for that, for that, we're super keen to have a product presence either in traditional banking, um, the digital version of traditional banking, or even having an embedded version in some of these sort of neobanks that are um, coming um, this, to this part of the world. But you're absolutely right, Alex, in this part of the world, I think you have to have a product agnostic or a distribution agnostic um, you know, view of the market. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you run the risk of being you know, um, isolated in such a small part of the market uh, and all the economics working against you, cost of acquisition, spending way too much on marketing, and you ignore sort of the 80, 85% of the market that could be actually operating um, just next to you. Yeah, yeah. Do you think it's, um, I mean, it's one of the things that steered me away from, you know, specifically having innovation in the title of the podcast, because I think I think it has an obsession with tech. Do you, do you think there's a slight obsession with tech when it comes to insurance that sometimes, I, I know there's this balance between, 
you know, we we need to be able to look in the future and offer customers things that they don't they're not aware of because the classic Henry Ford thing is, you know, I've asked my customers what they want, they'd want to fast the horse. Yeah. And I believe in that. But there's also an element where I think we we sometimes kind of push tech when it fails to serve the customer base. Correct. Um, You're absolutely right. Yeah. And I think for us, we, we can't, we're, we're a tech-enabled sector or a tech-enabled uh, company as opposed to, you know, a full-blown, we're not doing deep tech here or deep engineering. Having said that, you should have an open mind on both. If it's something that you can disrupt, and it's the Henry Ford example that, for example, we came up with the concept of insurance by the day or instant claims, or the ability to um, pay someone and do all the sort of you know, instantly on their card without doing any sort of paperwork. Again, these are big innovations for our for our um, sector that you can change the, the the path of the company. Having said that, you can actually do a lot of innovation even in intermediary space or a lot of innovation in uh, um, the way you distribute a product or embedding the product and so on, that is not, doesn't have to be like, you know, uh, getting a sledgehammer to, you know, to crush a little nut there. Yeah. You can actually enhance that um, a little bit without taking it, you know, um, 15,000 steps ahead. Now, as someone who's very purist and someone who comes from an engineering uh, side of things, I keep using the other expression that, for anyone who's got a screwdriver, sees the world as a you know as a screw, yeah, like or yeah. as a, like a hammer, everything is a nail. So yeah, yeah. again, just because I came up with this, I have this five with our engineers every single day. Just because I came up with this one, why don't I use it? The answer is, guys, for us, right in Greece right now, we have about two thousand garages on our platform. We're the number one sort of platform for managing body shops effectively, and some of the tech um, innovations are quite basic. It's a virtual assessment. My daughter will call it FaceTime. Uh, it's uh, you know the ability to pay instantly on their um, IBAN numbers. My son will call it bank transfer. <laughs> so it's yeah. not. But, but again, putting the whole thing together, it might it makes perfect sense. Mm. Similar to you know a lot of companies in the UK that are are in the billions right now. It's just about delivering from A to B. Now, mm. sure, it, it's not that they they haven't brought drones for the delivery. They still do it by a bicycle, as far as I'm concerned, which yeah. is something I was invented 200 years ago, right? So again, on, on, back on your, on your point, I think it's very, very uh, easy to go down the wrong path and over-engineer something mm -hmm. and try to convince yourself that that's going to change the industry, as opposed to um, feeling safe and feeling good about a little bit of innovation without really sort of um, smashing um, you know, the, uh, all the nuts around, if you like. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think that gets, I think that's got lost in loads of sectors and I don't think insurance is any different. I mean, I, I was having, um, I won't name them because it's unfair, but I was having problems with, with one of my providers the other day. And, and it was a, it was a, it was a, a tech enabled product in the, on the financial services side. And it was this, everything was tech driven and it was kind of, I was stuck in this kind of loop where I had a problem that wasn't solved by any of the chatbots and it wasn't solved by any of the help sections. And it was the classic thing of I really genuinely needed to pick up the phone to someone, and I was like, and that wasn't an option. And you, and you think that's not serving me as a customer. Now it might have been a unique example, but I do I do think we run the risk of trying to automate everything when you know, particularly an experience. When you talk about an experience, you know, what is your experience of, you know, particularly insurance. Um, Sometimes humans are particularly useful in that process, uh, and maybe they don't need to be in there. Um, but but I think I think it's it's about serving what's right for that specific moment, yeah, rather right. than yeah, rather than obsessing about tech. Um, I mean, I get, 
on this one, just the other observation we have is that uh, sometimes we feel uncomfortable as technology companies that, you know, we haven't thought about it well enough because by thinking about it a lot, you know, something big will happen. Again, I will use the example of WeWork. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sometimes, you know, the, the, the poor guy that was running Rigus was saying, guys, they're doing exactly what I do. And, you know, um, I've got a much bigger, a much more sort of uh, sexy than these guys, but yeah. they have 20 times more valuation. But again, um, sometimes um, we're going down the wrong path. Mm-hmm. Now, again, it's a very fine line between, between say getting people to innovate and to, you know, to push the teams to the limits to have the right product and change an industry, right? Uh, versus um, you know being a little bit more relaxed and say, guys, you know, we don't need to do that. And maybe we should think about this side of the business. Mm-hmm. And again, uh, but you mentioned claims earlier. That's a very good point. A lot of the fintech or the insurance companies are actually putting a lot more energy to think about the, what comes one millisecond before a claim. So what the 90% of your consumers uh, you know, uh, doing and for the 10% that crash, they don't give a shit about it. They would outsource it to somebody else. Mm. And, and they say, well, I'll think about it when the time comes. And the answer is, guys, uh, maybe you are over-engineering the, the front part, really. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. uh, so again, it, it's a very fine balance. Um, and there's, you know, arguments on both sides. I'm of the view, like, you should have a very pragmatic business side of things that sometimes if your solution is so obvious, just do it. It's okay. Yeah. It's such a simple solution. Why not? Why don't you have to over-engineer it? Yeah, no, that's very true. And we, we t- I think we touched on it really in, in that last point. But I, I wanted to ask you what, how important is brand? Um, and particularly how, is import- how important is brand in a, a really price sensitive market um, as auto? Um, or maybe I'm making a, a, an assumption because, you know, auto is particularly price sensitive in the UK. I, I, don't, I don't know in other parts of the world, but I'm, I'm, I'm assuming it is fairly price sensitive. But how, how much does brand play into that market? Right. And again, it, it's very UK driven. I think motor tends to be commoditized around the world. However, the, the price sensitivity is not um, a global phenomenon. It's mm. a very UK one because you have 200 or so direct offerings, you have aggregators and so on. Around here, just to give an example, this central manufacturing company called Aged Insurance, us, our unique product goes to brokers, is about 20% more expensive than our direct product. Which is probably you know differently priced to the one that we have on the aggregators. Still, there's different people that buy this, this stuff. I'm more of a Malcolm Gladwell kind of uh, you know uh, philosophy that there isn't one tomato sauce. There's probably four different sauces. It's the chunky yeah. one. So in in this part of the world, the markets are not as efficient as people would think they are. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not like suddenly I'm gonna come with a product that I'm like two euros cheaper than Allianz, and suddenly to, to, uh, the whole thing will shift. Now, um, you cannot ignore that part of the market. Like, you know, our pricing, guys, will say, sure, for the direct or for the aggregate part, you need to have pricing is what um, it's all about, uh, blah, blah, blah. But a certain part of the market is actually about, you know, service. That's what we folks are saying about sort of uh, Germany and so on. You need to sort of reinvent service and so on. People do care about what other things you're doing, but there is, you know, road assistance or other sort of service that you, you put around. I'll come back to that in a moment. Um, and the, the final the point is that um, you know, the, the insurance consumer over here will take a lot more time to go into a fully commoditized mode, especially because they've been buying insurance in a very sort of personal way for, for such a long time. Hence, you don't have the dominance of Amazon in this part of the world. You may have different sort of local models coming up that are sort of uh, defending that. Now, 
There's, um, there's a slight sort of uh, complication in, in, the, in this part of the world when it comes to um, you know, claims payments and servicing the consumer. Reason is that the average age of cars around here is about 16 years compared to seven years in the, in the UK. So people do break down more often. The, the, the frequency of road assistance is probably three or four times the frequency you have in the UK. So servicing takes a totally different um, you know, uh, perspective than you have in the UK. So having sort of a good servicing or good presence, you, 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 you maintain retention, uh, you maintain sort of uh, customer happiness. And it's not simply that the consumer looks at you purely in a transactional fashion that, you know, once a year, if you're not cheap enough, I'm gonna change uh, mm-hmm. providers. Mm-hmm. Plus we're gonna see a lot of, um, you know, merging of different parts of, uh, of the mobility space. Uh, in this part of the world, um, insurance versus car financing versus emergency, you know, services and so on are much more um, convoluted and much more sort of um, uh, stuck together compared to the UK where people are buying insurance from Admiral, they're buying road assistance from, you know, Green Flag and, you know, they, they do their own thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's interesting because, yeah, I've actually literally just done car insurance and, and I realised that I bought it the other day and I couldn't tell you who I bought it with. Uh, like, I just went aggregator, which is the cheapest because... My existing supplier obviously sent me an inflated quote because they'd obviously had to <laughs> go so low to get it. And, and the aggregated model is, is obviously it's been in the press a lot. It's been getting some, um, yeah, it's under it's under a lot of pressure anyway because of the sort of price, uh, specifically around price. But uh, at the end of the questionnaire, it was like, do you want to add um, assistance on? Um, and I have assistance with, I think, the RAC. But it was interesting that it never crossed my mind to put the two together. A very yeah. fragmented model, um, and um, yeah. not, it's not not very efficient use of my time, to be honest. I probably should put it put it together, but um, yeah. And, and I think for us, people talk about this uh, concept of an ecosystem, and I think we are living and breathing ecosystem more than some of the other. Uh, hence, we as a last year we bought the largest road assistance company in Cyprus. Mm-hmm. We're doing the same thing in Greece. Mm-hmm. We're putting the whole thing together because. Partly, um, your consumer, uh, your mobility consumer may start the journey from a different point of view. They might start the journey from a breakdown. That means that they will buy a new car mm-hmm. and then they will buy insurance, blah, blah, blah. In, in the UK, it may start from a different path. It may start from a mm-hmm. secondhand car dealer or the leasing guy and so on. But I think here in Greece, given and all this part of the world, you have to be a, you know, an active participant in the ecosystem. Um, because you need to protect your own retention, your own pricing and so on. If you're just an insurance provider, I think one way or another, you go back to your negative scenario, like, you know, you're just like a price giver and that's it. You know, if you've got good pricing, great, who cares about claims? Mm. Next year you're gonna change your insurance and, and, and so on. Mm. Now, um, that gives you also another sort of um, you know, dilemma we face. Like, do you wanna have good claims or not? Because let's say every time someone has a claim, you're gonna increase the price and that, that person will actually you know, go to somebody else, why do you need to have uh, good claims? I think for us, it started as a, um, effectively as a, as a cost minimization or like you know, controlling uh, fraud and all this good stuff. But at the same time, we realized that um, by having good claims experience and by having a good road assistance experience was a very, very good retention tool. Mm. That, and a good also, you know, client attraction tool because people, a, realize that you are a serious player. And in this part of the world, we have a lot of non-so-serious players. Um, and people realize that by, by you having a good sort of claims experience and being a fair sort of um, claims um, you know, servicer, um, that gave you 
a lot more retention. It gave you a lot more sort of um, you know lower um, customer acquisition um, costs and so on. Mm. I think that's this is there's an interesting point in that 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 because of you know um, I haven't got a particularly new car, but it's relatively new and it gets service, so it doesn't break down. Um, lucky enough, touch wood, I've not been involved in any accidents. So the that um, it's it. It's, it's actually hard for insurance companies to have enough touch points with me as a consumer, for example. Yeah. You know, like I have no reason to engage with them. Um, and that's why I think brand's quite interesting because if an insurance company on the motor side, particularly in the UK, almost ignored the fact that they were a motor brand um, and when in, just tried to create a brand which was kind of just aspirational anyway for, 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 an, for various reasons, I've probably been more likely to stick with them um but it's yeah it's, it's a huge challenge because if you don't have any touch points with a customer you you can't really impress upon them whereas the irony being that if i had a if i had a crash and a claim the experience there is more likely to i'm more likely to stay if it's good i'm probably right. stick with them but that's right now, i think in the uk again it depends on the markets and again sure. for the uk we, we when we first started we spoke to the admiral guys a lot we have huge, huge respect for them and uh then their view was very much more along the lines of cost um, containment, mm -hmm. um, cheap, cheerful, and you know um, I can always sort of beat everyone, which is a, a fantastic model and it works really well in the UK. Yeah. In this part of the world, um, and I would put Italy in there, Spain, and so on, it doesn't work like that. No. Um, you know, there's people are not as sort of um, price driven as you would think, mm -hmm. and you know they do appreciate service, they do appreciate the brand. They do appreciate the fact that, for example, in our case, that we are a Greek insurance company that started locally, that, you know, we're doing the right thing. And, you know, um, if you ask people about, we're now the number one um, recognized brand um, in insurance, um, you know, uh, even above people like AXA and Allianz and, and, and so on. And, and that, 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 it wasn't because we spent millions in marketing, it was because we kind of engineered uh, the product and we engineered the, the touch points of the clients. Yeah. Uh, now, we're not, we're just broke into the top 10 insurance companies in Greece right now and we're going to grow. But I think this, this is the momentum we wanted to create behind the brand, become the service and so on. Mm -hmm. That enables you not to become like a sort of an expression, like a, a, you know, um, a victim to the price bitchiness of everyone around you. Yeah. Uh, and to be able to, to build good service and good touch points that will give you um, sort of a better margin and a better sort of um, long-term economics with the client. Mm. Now, we're not there yet because I think there's still a lot way, um, a long, long way to go. Um, but that's a very, very kind of uh, localized uh, theme. And it, it doesn't, I mean, when you look at Greece, yes, we have some resemblance with Italy, Spain, and so on, but this has nothing to do with uh, Poland or Romania or even the UK. So when you travel around Europe, you have different sort of models. Now in this market, um, you need to be aware of all that. You need to be aware of the fact that the average car age is 16 years old almost, and people will probably be changing their cars pretty soon. So you have to consider car financing, you have to consider emergency care. These are natural touch points that are going to come in your you know, uh, client's life. If you want to ignore that, then at your own peril. <laughs> because yeah. uh, you know, let's say I'm insuring your car, but I don't have your own assistance. The chances are you're going to have a breakdown uh, before you even crash, touch wood. Uh, so I'm not going to be there. And whoever provided you that service, they will steal you away from me. Yeah. Or, you know, if you, if you break down and you want to buy a new car, the guy who provides you with financing at that point in time, chances are that they will get the insurance. So it's 
kind of different uh, perspective and different sort of customer journeys. And yeah. one of the things we're becoming paranoid about in, the, in, in our world right now is all these customer journeys. It is not a simple buy, renew, cancel, buy, renew, or this, or crash. There's a, it's much more complicated than that. Mm. Like buy, pay MOT, um, you know, finance MOT, finance change, or maybe buy sons, motorcycle. There's a lot of other sort of um, uh, permutations around that. For us, an amazing opportunity, as you, as you really said earlier, to be in someone's life much more frequently as opposed to the annual, you know, um, uh, anniversary of your of your uh, renewal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's so much interesting stuff to go with the cross-pollination. I mean, I, I was thinking from a perspective of, um, you know, if I had my phone on as a, as, a, as a sort of black box in my car, which is a kind of common way to do it, if you know that I drive to the gym five times a week, um, are you not kind of reaching them out to me and offering me health insurance? Or, you know, there's, yeah. there's so much... And that's where data becomes kind of powerful and um, digital first. That's right. Um, what I was going to ask you is, is you know, competition-wise, um, where do you see your kind of competition coming from right. most directly? Is it is it legacy insurers? Is it other startups? Um, the good thing about this these markets around here is that um, first of all, the, the international, so the the big boys are not as strong over here. So. For example, there are no UK players around here. There's no Swiss players around here. So uh, we have a couple of Germans and all the French are on their way out. AXA just sold their um, French, uh, their, their, their uh, company over here. Um, you know, so so the, the international presence is not as uh, crushing or as sort of heavy as it, it is in, in other markets. Two, um, the local players, um, a lot of them, um, actually more than 50% had uh, financial problems uh, 10 years ago. So a lot of the big boys of the past are no longer with us. Um, you know, we also experienced the equitable kind of events that you had in the, in, in the UK. Yeah. And, you know, the, the current locals, they, they are okay but they're not as deep pockets or as, you know, as, as strong as they should. Now, private equity is beginning to come around here. So we have people like, uh, you know, CVC or people like, uh, Fairfax and all those guys. But again, from their side, they, they are missing their local operating angle, the technology and so on. So I think it's from a competition perspective, it's not as uh, lethal or as sort of, uh, you know, um, crashing as it would have been in some of the bigger uh, markets uh, that some of our other fintechs are operating. Now, back, back to your last point about fintech coming into this part of the world, again, it's not happening as much as we would like to, to the point that we want more fintech presence because you know, it, it would have been nice to have a you know couple of disruptors on the royal assistance side and a couple of disruptors on the you know black box side of things, but that's not happening um, any anytime soon. Now, for us, the the challenge we're going to have is mostly um, that was before COVID actually market stagnation. That you know sometimes in these kind of markets, because of the lack of enthusiasm and so on, things just don't change, mm-hmm. and uh, you know we. You have to work extra hard to convince people to move around. Partly the digital revolution, partly COVID, come and ensure that this is not happening. So things are, are moving up and down. Sure. And the second sort of uh, risk that we have is somebody, you know, some crazy guy coming to town and killing the market, um, yeah. which happens, um, you know, frequently in, in our in our world. I think that would have been more of a risk for us five years ago when we we're still, you know, beginning. Now we have about quarter of a million clients. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got more than a million on road assistance. So 
we are um, you know a, a fairly okay uh, force in the market. So we we will would probably be the you know a strong uh, opponent uh, to what comes over here. Yeah. Well, you, that's the thing. You're 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 the establishment now. You, you, you don't, exactly. So yeah. someone else will come and disrupt us. Now we're gonna crush the startups. No. Um, no, we are again. One of the good descriptions are like one of my good friends uh, from McKinsey is, is a founder of Zocdoc. It's a company in the in the, in the US. So medical uh, you know, directory and you know uh, they're, they're building their fantastic ecosystem over there. Mm. He keeps saying to me that I'm one of the few. I'm one of the few technology companies that. I make money. I'm profitable, and I'm kind of I'm a normal kind of company. So for us, yes, we're techie. We are, you know, we, we live and breathe of insurance and all this good stuff. But we we are we're not consuming a lot of capital every year. We are profitable at the bottom line. We we we, we kind of grow in, in a healthy kind of way, mm-hmm. um, which doesn't you know sound interesting from a fintech perspective. <laughs> then again, <laughs> then again, you know. Call yourself a fintech. You're not burning capital. What are you doing? Exactly. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we, we were good about survive. We survived long winters. You know, we, we managed to walk through, you know, hibernations and, you know, the, uh, you know, sort of a scary, you know, uh, winter months and so on. But I think um, for us, we, 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 feel, we feel good about our position right now. Volatility is good for us. And, you know, don't get me wrong. You know, we don't want to sort of have people to, you know, come over and, and, and crashing markets. But um, we are more on the um, long volatility trade as opposed to you know, stagnation. Yeah, of course, of course. Well, I'm conscious of time, so I want to want to wrap things up. But, but I wanted to give you a chance to sort of um, touch on like where's next then for you? Continue with the geographic expansion, or or, or is it more focusing yeah. on going into slightly different verticals? Uh, I think both. I think for us, we um, we're doing three things at this point. First of all, we are. Um, you know, we're stepping on the gas with regards to Greece and Cyprus. So we have a run rate of about 50 million uh, euros for this year. Um, you know, we grew from 12 a couple of years ago. So we've grown quite fast. Uh, but, you know, for us, the aspiration is to reach 200 to 250 million in this part of the world, mm-hmm. um, uh, which means that we're going to be less than 10% of the market um, in, in Greece and Cyprus combined. Uh, we are doing, as we mentioned earlier, across different distribution platforms, different products, mainly it's going to be motor and home. Um, and I think we are kind of agnostic where this growth will come from, whether it's brokers or, uh, you know, direct and, and so on. Um, now, that gives us uh, a very, very good sort of starting point to do our number two, um, you know, uh, strategies is to extend beyond just uh, insurance to play the full ecosystem and monetize a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Short of starting our own aggregator, um, we, we will bypass that. Um, but effectively, because we own our assistance uh, in both countries, we will do a lot of the things that AA and RAC did. So we will be doing um, anything from selling batteries, uh, you know, um, doing sort of on-spot repairs, tires, all the way to lead generation to garages, financing, you know, um, the whole shebang. So for us, that could actually be larger than insurance at some stage, but it, it, it's a it's a funny challenge because there we have the distribution, but we don't have the product yet. Insurance, we have the product, but we don't have the distribution. And now thirdly, it's international. And I think we wanted to start international with Alexis, my co-founder, um, when we, we knew that we could sort of um, depend on, on, on our first two pillars. 
Uh, we could have gone international for five years ago. We think it's the wrong thing to do, especially when you're too soon into your sort of um, growth. Uh, you will feel uncomfortable, your shareholders will feel uncomfortable, and by opening up too many fires at the same time, it's not the way to go. But effectively right now, for us, we looked at the whole uh, area around here. So attractive markets for us are in no particular order. It's Romania, it's Czech, it's Slovakia, it's Slovenia, it's Croatia. All of these markets we can passport almost instantly. We can go there. We have our own technology. Sure, there will be some sort of idiosyncrasies to take care of, but we're going to go there with multi-product, multi-distribution, and you know, um, we quite like that space. Um, now, we think that by going to these markets, it's not going to take us the seven, eight years that it took us in Greece. Uh, it's going to be much faster. Yeah. Um, plus, we do believe that um, you know, our unit economics will be superior to what everyone else has done. We've cracked it in one jurisdiction. We can do it in other jurisdictions as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, if you, if you ask me about sort of the next two, three years, so my, my sort of uh, uh, energy and so on, will probably be one, two, three in that specific order. Yeah. Uh, we think that our shareholders will make most of their returns from one, two. Uh, I think the third one will probably be our, um, you know, the next, even, even actually the next round of, uh, of investors. <laughs> yeah. So I think for us, we have enough capital to, to execute one, two successfully. And then no, number three, we'll, uh, we'll have to wait. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's, a, that, and that's, a, that's always a journey in itself in the investment thing. But um, Emilios, that's been fantastic. Thank you so much for spending the time. Really appreciate okay. it. Um, that was really insightful. So um, look, um, I wish you, wish you all the best and uh, I, hope, um, I hope to get over to Athens at some point in the future and uh, perhaps, we yeah. can, perhaps, perhaps you can meet in the flesh one time. <laughs> exactly. I mean, you, you're always welcome to Greece. So uh, I think it's a great place to visit, not for insurance or tech, but you know, a few other good things around here. Uh, thanks for your time, Alex. No. Really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you. All the best. Bye. Thanks, man. Take care. As always, this podcast is brought to you by FinPro Search Partners, often simply known as FinPro. FinPro is an executive recruitment business working in the insurance and insure tech space on an international basis. If you would like to find out more about FinPro, please visit our website, www.wearefinpro.com or our FinPro company page on LinkedIn. I've been your host, Alex Bond, and I would personally love to connect with anyone who is interested in the changing world of insurance. So feel free to reach out to me directly, um, either on LinkedIn or via my email, uh, alex at wearefinpro.com. I hope you enjoyed the podcast, and I hope to see you back next week. Thank you.